You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to uh, week eight. Week eight of how Christianity saves civilization and can do so again. Um, We've been walking through some fun things in this class, and the fun continues tonight. I want to give you a heads up on a class that I will be teaching in January. And so the class that I'm going to be teaching is a class that I did teach, I think, over seven years ago. And I'm going to revise it. So if you did take it and you still remember it, it is going to be revised. But the class is Heaven and Hell and Everything in Between. So this is, so we're going to be looking, because this is central to the, to the Christian uh, understanding of the world, is how do we see heaven? What is heaven? Is it something that we go to? Do we float on clouds? Do we get harps? Um, is there logic to hell? What is hell all about? What are the different perspectives on hell? Um, what's in between? And so all the questions asked about, you know, are there such things as ghosts? And what are spirits? And what about this idea of purgatory? What is purgatory? Does Do we get a second chance after we die? And then we're also going to do a, a look at um, um, end times, basically, like how things will end, um, different perspectives on that. And then we're going to do a week on the spiritual world. So on demons, spirits, angels, and those sorts of things. So basically, it is going to be a fun class. Um, last time I taught it, we had a blast. Uh, because we, like, we talked about everything, didn't we, Ray? Yeah, everything came up. And so it'll be a class where all the questions, yeah, I'm not sure if I always have the answer, but it'll be fun. We'll just talk about all the things, all the questions that you have about heaven and hell and everything in between. So that's going to be a class that we're going to be doing in January. So I think it'll be fun. So, all right. So let me um, pray and we'll dive into tonight's class. Lord, we come before you recognizing that we are completely dependent upon you. You are our life. You are our hope. And our lives will only work in so far as they're aligned to you. Also, Lord, we do pray for your mercy. We pray for your mercy upon us. We think of our our dear friend um, and brother, John Hawes, and we, we pray that you continue to watch over him and bring healing to his body. And uh, we lift him up to you. We lift up uh, many of those who are, who are sick in our midst. We think of our, our dear friend, Colleen. We pray for her and for, for others who are just really struggling right now. And uh, you are the God of grace and a God of hope. So we pray for your strength and your healing touch. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we are going to be uh, carrying on. And just a reminder, the theme of this class is that the impact of Christianity is seen in the fact that you don't notice it. You may not realize it, but many of your ideas that you hold about the nature of reality are actually more influenced by Christianity than you realize. Many of the things we take for granted is like the air we breathe. 
are things that aren't that self-evident, but are actually a product of a revolution that took place 2,000 years ago. And we have had fun. We've looked at a number of different things. We talked about the idea of equality, that all human beings are equal. That's self-evident, right? Well, that's what uh, Thomas Jefferson thought, but is it self-evident? Well, no, it's, it's based upon a, a very Christian understanding of the Imago Dei, that we're made in the image of God. We looked at ideas of family, marriage, and sex, and we saw how, how many of the things that we take for granted, you know, just husbands, love your wives, these sorts of things that we think are natural aren't that natural, but again, are a product of this revolution. We talked about the dignity of work and why we find humility in people so attractive. We talked about humility not being a virtue in an honor-shame culture in the Greco-Roman world, but again, is a result of the cross of Christ. We launched into the idea of progress. Where does this idea of progress, uh, the, of progress being a good thing come from? And what happens when you, when you pursue progress without a vertical dimension, without God in the equation? Well, you get the 20th century and some of the, some of the uh, horrific things that take place in the 20th century. Mike led us through the story of science. We asked why science emerged in the West. And where do we get the idea of following the science and trusting the science? We talked about uh, the origins of those ideas. And then last week we talked about us. We talked about the self, the individual, the rise of the individual. Where does the idea of the individual come from? Again, it's not a self-evident idea. Um, and what is the difference between an individual and persons in relationship. So this is fun stuff right across the board. Well, tonight the fun continues because we're going to talk about death. <laughs> we're going to talk about death. We're going to talk about the dead, dead bodies. No, actually, we're going to also be talking about hope. Um, and so I thought we'd begin by looking at 1 Corinthians. It's going to shape our conversation tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can follow along if you want. This is a very important passage written by Paul, the apostle, to the church in Corinth. He writes in chapter 15, verse 1, he goes, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters of the gospel, I would remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you, you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared uh, to, 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 to Cephas, to Cephas, uh, Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he also appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but Christ, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Verse 26. The last enemy to be destroyed 
is death. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Actually, let me back up. I'm going to read, read verse 12. You can see how we're going to get there. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at the coming of those belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put the enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Wow. So let me ask you a question about death. How does our modern world see death? And how does it see the dead? How does it treat the dead? Not the dead in the past, but just people who die. So how does our modern world see death, and how does it treat the dead? Is that clear enough? All right, just take a moment around your tables, just talk about this, and or all you guys online discuss death. This will be fun. Okay. Mike, can you hit uh, pause? Okay, so, I mean, this is a big, and I know many of you are just dying to say something, so uh, um, I'm going to use that joke a few times, right? Yes. <laughs> so I know it probably has grave consequences. So I shouldn't be saying these things. I'm killing it. <laughs> Okay, I probably shouldn't have recorded all that part, yeah. <laughs> okay, so as is our habit, we are going to go way back to the Greco-Roman world because this is where every man thinks of at least once a week about the Roman Empire. Um, and we're going to ask the question, how was death and the dead seen back then? And have there been changes along the way? And if so, what brought about these changes? Well, in many ways, death was a riddle that the pagans had a very difficult time solving. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not like people hadn't thought about it. Um, they did. But the Greco-Roman vision of the afterlife was not a very hopeful one. Th there might be life after death, but again, that would probably only apply to those who mattered in society. For the slave, for the lower orders in society, death was often a welcome relief from the sufferings of life. Um, but it usually was understood that there was nothing necessarily waiting on the other side. 
It was just a, re a relief from the struggles of life. Even in, 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 in Homer's Odyssey, which I know you're all familiar with, um, but it's kind of like Greek sacred literature. <laughs> I made a point to try to, I read it last year. Um, but the, even there, the, the view of the afterlife wasn't, wasn't ideal. Because in the Odyssey, the main protagonist, the key guy, um, Ulysses or Odysseus, um, he visits the realm of the dead in Hades. And he encounters heroes from the Trojan War who had, who had died, right, in the, in the Trojan War. So these are guys who actually died nobly, died with lots of honor. And so you think of all the groups of people that might have some kind of reward on the other side, it would be these guys. Um, and, but we read in the Odyssey, Achilles tells uh, Odysseus his thoughts about what the afterlife was like, and this is what he says. He says, Renowned Ulysses, I think, uh, think not death a theme of consolation. I'd rather live the servile hind for hire and eat the bread of some man scantily himself sustained than sovereign empire hold o'er all the shades. And what's he saying is, I'd rather be a starving servant living than to be the king over a bunch of ghosts. <laughs> and so this view of death, even for heroes, was, was how can I summarize it? Uh, death sucked. Death was not good. It was better to be a poor laborer barely getting by than to be dead. Death was not something to be welcomed or to look forward to. Now, if your life was really, really bad, then it would be, okay, nothing is better than what I have right now, right? So in the Greco-Roman world, death was unknown, but probably really bad, what, what lay ahead. As for some idea of the future hope, they didn't see a lot of future hope in the Greco-Roman world. One guy puts it this way, he says, once a man has died and the dust has soaked up his blood, there is no resurrection. There's nothing. And for many Greeks, the thought was that dead men just stay dead. They do not rise up. They do not return. And so you even come across these words on a tombstone. It's an interesting one. It says, I wasn't, I was, I am not, I don't care. <laughs> Is that interesting? That would be, I can see somebody today putting that on their tombstone, right? I wasn't, I was, I am not, I don't care. And so for some people, death was just this idea of annihilation. You're just no longer around. And annihilation, I guess, was better than living in dishonor. Again, in the Greco-Roman world, what matters most is honor and shame, those things, right? And so it was better to be famous than to somehow live again. N.T. Wright has written a lot on this. In fact, I'll show you how big the book is that he wrote on. So this is N.T. Wright's work on the resurrection of the Son of God. And the first part of this book, what he does is he walks through every single example of pagan understanding of the afterlife. It's actually really interesting. Um, but this is what he says. He says, the immediate conclusion is clear. Christianity was born into a world where its central claim, resurrection, was known to be false. Many believed that the dead were non-existent, 
Outside Judaism, nobody believed in resurrection. And so his point is this, is that death in the pagan world, death is a one-way street. Now, there are, some, there are some examples where people believed in the afterlife, in some kinds of afterlife. But even then, the understanding of the afterlife in the pagan mindset was not resurrection. It's not an embodied afterlife. It was like you, sometime, you somehow live on as a, as a shade or a ghost or something like that, right? You're not embodied. Which is very different from the Christian worldview which is resurrection. And so this, I mean, just as an aside, I often hear this back when there were newspapers and magazines, they don't exist anymore, but um, every Easter, Time Magazine or Newsweek would say, you know, is Christianity that unique or did it just simply steal pre-existing ideas from paganism of the time. I, I don't know if you ever come across it, but usually every Easter there's some in-depth look is, you know, how come Christianity it seems very much like the Mithras cult and blah, blah, blah. And the reality is, is and this is Henry N.T. Wright's point, is that Christianity's understanding of resurrection was completely unique. The only other group that believed in resurrection were, were, was um, um, a form of Judaism. But they believed resurrection took place at the end of time. Christianity believed in resurrection. Resurrection means bodily resurrection. No pagan believed in bodily resurrection. They wouldn't believe in bodily resurrection. See, bodily resurrection is, is redundant. Resurrection implies the body. In paganism, if one lived after death, one, it wasn't a great existence. And two, it was disembodied. You, you don't have a body. It's not resurrection. You're a soul or a shade of existence. And so the death life cycle understood in, 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 Greek, uh, in the Greco-Roman world is not resurrection. This is what N.T. Wright says. He says, resurrection was not in use elsewhere in the ancient world as a description of non-bodily life after death. So nobody, no Greek would use the word resurrection to mean, oh, I exist as a ghost after I die or something like that. Resurrection is not part of the pagan hope. And you guys know this. You guys have been taking my class for a while. You know how the Greeks felt about the body. How did the Greeks feel about the body? They didn't like it very much. Yeah, when I die, the last thing I want is a new body. I just got rid of this body. Why would I want to have a body again? And so, in, in, um, in paganism, resurrection was not a hope at all. In fact, there was this wordplay. Uh, early Greek writers loved the wordplay between soma, which means body, and sema, which means tomb. <laughs> and so the whole goal of life is to escape the tomb of our body and be free and fly away. The pagan hope was never resurrection. So never let somebody say to you, well, you know, the Christians are just borrowing some of the pagan ideas. And no, not even close. And if they don't believe you, say, I will show you in detail how this plays out. Okay. Actually, this book is so helpful in, in that. And it actually does help. N.T. Wright is a very good writer. Um, so, yeah, in Greek thinking, the body was something to get rid of. 
Okay? So with this in mind, this is the Greek understanding how they saw the afterlife, if they saw an afterlife, and typically they didn't, and if they did, it wasn't a great life. And it wasn't embodied. With that in mind, how would the Greeks, how would the Greco-Roman world view or think about dead people? Like, let's say, a dead body. Well, in a nutshell, they would not want to see a dead body. Because the idea of death and a dead body were things that pagans did not want to think about. In fact, the mere sight of a corpse would make a pagan ritually unclean and would make people feel very uncomfortable. And that's why the Greeks, or in the, in the, in the Greco-Roman world, they always give Christians such a hard time. Because they heard stories about this strange group called Christians. And do you know what they do? I heard that they eat bodies. Yeah. These Christians are a bunch of cannibals, apparently. Because I hear, I hear stories. They, they eat the body and the blood of their leader. It's true. That's actually, Christians were accused of cannibalism in the early church, as well as incest, because I hear that they call each other brother and sister and kiss each other. <laughs> Seriously. So the Greeks thought Christians were off their heads. And the Greek approach to the, de to the dead was that of revulsion. That is why... In the Greco-Roman world, if you died, how would you, what would you do with the body? What would you do? You burn it as cremation. And cremation was a, was a normal Roman funeral practice. Why? Because it got rid of the body quickly, and it keeps the deceased from coming back to maybe haunt you. Okay, so we should have another fun discussion. Okay, so let's talk about this. Now, while we talk about this, be very kind to one another, right? Because we all have this and we've made choices along the way, okay? Because it's not necessarily one way is, is right or one way is wrong, but uh, what, talk about this. What are your thoughts on cremation versus burial? Again, don't fight over it. And does it matter as a Christian the way your body is dealt with after you die? And if so, why? Okay, so we'll pause here and have another lively conversation. Okay. Okay, so um, I did learn something. I thought learning that if we keep going the cremation route, that zombie movies would come to an end. I hadn't, I had never thought of that before. So that's, uh, I learned something new tonight. That's, that's good. No more Walking Dead, you know, because they're, yeah, yeah okay. Um, how many of you, without going into detail, how many of you would say, no, you need to be bodily buried? Put up your hand. Okay, two. How many of you say, no, nah, I'm just going to be cremated, just cremate? Yeah. And, and 
And how many of you think it, it really doesn't matter, it's just a matter of preference? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, well, good. Well, this, this, this is good. This is an interesting uh, conversation. So, let's carry on then. What's the right answer? Oh, I know the right answer, but I won't say it. No. <laughs> okay, well, hopefully as we carry on, we'll get more of a... Because we haven't... Uh, we're still looking at paganism. We're going to talk about Christianity in a second. Um... In the pagan world, the fear was that a buried body would attract spiritual infestations, and so even an educated person would be afraid of ghosts at midnight. And, and, and again, people weren't sure what happened when you died, and so your imaginations would run wild. And so graves were places where ghosts maybe would congregate and, and you know, be a bad thing to bump into one in the middle of the night. And I find it interesting, though, because one of the things that I've done quite a bit as a pastor is I've done a lot of funerals. Um, I actually really, I find funerals very, very meaningful. But I, I do notice that there's a difference in terms of where people are at spiritually and the nature of a funeral. And I do find that when a family have very little Christian background, if they have very little Christian background, then on the day of the funeral, do you know what I find is I find a lot of yearning for superstition where people will, yeah, it's interesting more so that like, yeah, it's so when, when the family has, has, has no Christian background on the day of the funeral or a memorial, they'll come up to me and they're like, oh, it's raining. That's, that's, that's a good sign, right? Oh, yeah. It's November, of course, it's right. No, I don't. I just say, yeah, yeah, it could, could be. You know, I don't know. Um, and they'll say, you know, I've, been, I've done funerals where, you know, people grab, pour a bottle, you know, pour a cup of a dram of scotch and toast their friend. And I say, I know, I know Bob is, is here right now. And he's watching every one of you guys. And we're just going to have, you know, a big drink for in, in honor of Bob, right? I've had a guys, you know, pour scotch in, in the service. Um, or people say, you know what, I just, it's, it's been a week, but I, I, I know that Mary is with me. I just feel her wherever I go, and I know that she will continue to look out for me in these days. I hear that all the time. Now, it's interesting. The Christian view of death and dying is, is, is going to be a little bit different. Um, again, Christians believe in the resurrection of the body. And I want to read to you something you're familiar with, many of you are familiar with. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Now, you hear the Apostles' Creed. This is something that churches have, have, have said over and over again over the years. Um, but I want you to listen to how earthy this is. Where it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, uh, Almighty creator of heaven and earth. Creator of stuff. Right? Remember the, the Greeks. How do the Greeks think about stuff? Matter and that. No, they care about spiritual things. I believe in God the Father, creator of stuff. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified on a cross, right? Died and was buried and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, meaning the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. So it's a very earthy creedal statement. Again, for the Greeks, the body was the shell. God, the body was the machine that was animated by the soul. Without the soul, the machine lies dead. But Christians, they believe something different. They believed in resurrection. There's a guy named Julian the Apostate. That wasn't his full name. That's what the Christians called him. Uh, emperor Julian, who lived in the mid-4th century. And he was an interesting emperor because he tried to bring the empire back to paganism after uh, Constantine was converted. So he tries to bring the empire back to paganism. And, uh, and one of the things that Julian hated is he hated to see funerals, especially public funerals that were taking place in the cities. This is what he says. He says, quote, We have heard that dead corpses are carried to interment through large crowds of people and numerous spectators, a sight that defiles the eyes of men by its inauspicious appearance. For what day is well omened by a funeral? Funerals are bad luck. And how can we afterward approach the gods of the temple? For Julian, and for some Christians today, it's interesting, the sight of a body brings bad luck. Well, it depends on, on your tradition. So my background is, is I used to pastor in, in more of an East Asian context, and I know, and Teresa, maybe you can <laughs> speak to this, but there's always a deep hesitancy in Chinese churches to have a funeral where the body is in the casket. Am I right? Yeah. Because it's, it's seen as bad luck. Right? It's kind of a hangover from, from ancient traditional thinking. Would, would you agree? Maybe, yeah. I think that's part, partly what it is. I think it's a hangover from, from a... From a yeah, more, more, more pagan thinking. And so it's not just, but in a lot of uh, traditions, there is concern over having a body in the sanctuary. For Christians, though, the body was integral to being you. Your body matters, right? Our body matters. And you guys might get tired of me saying this, but I'm not going to stop saying this because Christians always forget this. But in Christianity... The body matters. We are embodied beings. We are not souls encased in a shell that will disappear and then will fly away and float on a cloud or something like that. That's, there is an earthy embodiedness of our faith and our future is embodied. Right? Okay. I'm going to keep saying this because it's easy to forget this. So let's look at Christianity then. What, how does death seem within early Christianity? Well, I think the Christian view of resurrection was revolutionary. It was absolutely revolutionary. We will be raised in him. The future is now. 
And this, this idea, this, this reality of Jesus' resurrection changed everything. It affected all levels of society. It affected lower stations, women, slaves, barbarians. Because if you were a woman, if you were a slave, if you were a barbarian, and you're living in the Roman Empire, what kind of future do you have? Zero. You don't have much of a future at all. You would be toast. That's right. Exactly. I couldn't have said that. I would have said that. Yeah, that's great. And the future, if anybody had, had a future, it was... You know, maybe uh, higher up in society, maybe um, the philosophers or the the paterfamilias or, or or the upper orders of society. Certainly, men and not women. And Christianity was revolutionary. We have to get this. This is absolutely key. Why was Christianity so revolutionary? Is because it offered a different view of the future. It opened up the future. In the Greco-Roman world, it's, it's just a loop. You're just stuck in the cycle and life is meaningless. And Christianity says, no, your future, it doesn't matter if you're a slave or you're a woman or it doesn't matter where you are, your future is wide open. You're, like you're, you're, you're not going to, um, your future is not just being some shade in Hades or something like that. You're not going to be left in the swirling dust. But this is a future because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everyone who puts their faith in him will be resurrected. Everyone. The high and the low. And this, this really runs against all ways of thinking. There's a popular... Um, um, way of thinking in, in the Greco-Roman world, and it, there's, it's actually quite popular today. I was talking to a friend of mine about this. Is there's a, it's, it's a philosophy called Stoicism. And Stoicism, without going into, into, into a lot of details, means that life is best off conforming to dealing with whatever life throws your way. Don't be overwhelmed with it. Just say, okay, this is what, this is a hand that I've been dealt, so I'm just going to deal with it, right? And a lot of Christians sometimes fall into Stoicism in some ways. Um, saying life is, you know, chaotic, but that's okay. I just deal with whatever life throws my way, and I just grin and bear it. Hedonism was another view of the, another uh, worldview of the time, and and that's argued that the only meaningful part of life was was found in pleasure, and so seek it as much as you can. You may as well eat, drink, for tomorrow you die. But Christians believe, no, no, life doesn't just deal you some bad cards. Right? That behind life is a God of love, and that He is compassionate and 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 that god is good to all and he has compassion on all that he has made and so every human being is made in his image every human being is invited into a story that is bigger than themselves what i mean this we hear that yes because we hear this on sunday morning but in 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 the first century or the second century this is revolutionary and you know what it offers people hope
Now, I've said this before, I've done many, many funerals. There is a world of difference doing a funeral for someone who never knew Jesus and someone who died, even tragically, but it was a follower of Jesus. It's a world of, they're both, you have grief, you both have a deep sorrow, but one is done without, with, with despair and one is done in hope. Makes all the difference. Christianity argues that life is full of potential, that the future is wide open. Our future is not determined by cruel fate. That's what the Greeks believed. But by a loving God. And this God sends his son into the world who died for all, including his enemies. But does not stay dead, but was resurrected. And so death will not have the final word, but life will. Oh my goodness, what, what a difference is made for how people understood the future. And this is a future, again, for all. Christ died for all. There's no longer Jew, nor Gentile, slave, nor free, male, nor female. Everyone, even, even a slave could become a bishop, and a woman could become a prophet and a teacher. This is huge. This is absolutely huge. And he also, I've said this before, but you have to realize how revolutionary, politically revolutionary, the idea of resurrection is. And one of the reasons why the, the, the Roman Empire went after the Christians is because of their view of resurrection. Because resurrection means what? It means you can say to the emperor, do your worst. What are you going to do? Oh, you're going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, our, our leader is resurrected. And in him, we will be resurrected. So, honestly, Mr. Roman Empire, Emperor, <laughs> what do you got? Well, I'll kill you. I'll kill all your family. I'll kill everyone. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, our master, you did that to him. And three days later, he was raised to new life. We know we have eternal life. We know our future is, 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 uh, is set. Our future is embodied. And if you're really cheeky, you say, you know what? And you've probably heard people say this. In the future... Parents are going to name their kids after followers of this Jesus. They're going to name their kids Matthew, Luke, Mary. And you know what they're going to name their dogs after? <laughs> Caesar, Nero, <laughs> all the emperors. This is huge. Now, this actually, this, this understanding of resurrection really did affect how Christians not only viewed death, but how they viewed the dead. The Christian view of the dead stands, again, in great contrast to the Greco-Roman world. Christians didn't avoid the dead, actually, but they treated dead bodies as valuable. 
and that the because the body is somehow still connected to the person and so bodies in the early church were seen as having dignity and needed to be treated with with dignity the body to the christian was not some throwaway container to the soul bodies mattered now see we the air we breathe is this you know if 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 someone dies, you know, you need to, you know, in war, if you, if you, you have a fallen comrade, what do you do? You bring the bodies back, right? You don't leave the bodies on the, on, on the battlefield. You bring as much as you can. You, you know, what was the Marine line? No Marine gets left behind or something like that. Uh, but this idea that you treat the bodies, even fallen bodies, you treat them with dignity. And they need to be buried. You don't just leave them on a battlefield to rot. This idea that bodies need to be treated with dignity. Where does this idea come from? Well, I would argue it comes from a revolution that took place 2,000 years ago. Because a body for the Christian was not some throwaway container. Bodies mattered. And so to the Christian, the idea of the flesh was important. Because what? At the center of our face is the incarnation. God became flesh. He entered into history, into human flesh. And it's interesting, if you read the accounts of burials in the Bible, you'll come across, again, the good treatment of bodies. <laughs> I say that, but I just suddenly thought of Jezebel. Yeah, that wasn't a great treatment of her body. But you see in the story of Jesus on the cross, what does Joseph of Arimathea ask? Right? He goes. He goes to Pilate. And at great risk to himself, because Jesus was accused as being a traitor, as a traitor to the, to, to the Roman Empire. But he asks for the body, because the body mattered. And then do you remember in the book of John, it has a description of Jesus's resurrection. And there's an interesting, if you've ever read the book of John or have studied the book of John, you'll know that John is one of those writers that does not waste words. He does not throw away words. Every word that he uses has, has meaning, it has deep meaning. So look at John chapter 20. This is on the resurrection. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one that, whom Jesus loved, this is John, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, okay, listen, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Have you ever noticed that? It's so strange. But why? Yeah. <laughs> why is this tiny detail about the head cloth? Like it wasn't just like, oh, 
you know, it just, it was taken off, folded up, and put aside. So John is describing something from his own experience of racing to the tomb. It stuck in his memory that the head cloth was rolled up neatly in a corner, away from the other grave clothes. Why? Well, maybe it tells us something about Jesus. That Jesus is expressing appreciation for those who treated his lifeless body. He shows himself to be careful with their work, not ripping off the head covering, but taking it off carefully, folding it up, and tucking it over to a place neatly. And, and you all, like when Stephen is martyred, we read that devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. And, and, and so there's this caring about the body. There's reverence shown to dead bodies. And today we talk about people needing to have proper burials. I think that's one of the reasons why so many people were so upset, you know, in the whole story of the, of the residential school and the, and the unmarked graves and those sorts of things. I think one, one, of, the, 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 um, one of the impulses behind this was this idea that someone who dies needs to be buried with respect. Now, today, we have a big industry, but the funeral industry is a big industry. I looked up how much it is in, in Canada in 2023, how much money the funeral industry makes. Can you guess? Yeah, you're all in the right. One point in Canada, $1.7 billion. $1.7 billion. Bill, billion with a B. And the idea is that bodies, bodies, you know, ought to be treated properly. And wherever the church spread, you find the practice of Christians burying their dead. And so the focus of buildings in the early church was not necessarily building churches, but often it would be building or, 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 or developing um, places of burial. And in Rome and in, in, in some of the Roman cities, this is in what are called the catacombs. How many here have been to Rome and visited the catacombs? Wow. Oh, quite a few of you. Does anybody want to share what that experience was like. I'll repeat it to the people online. Yeah. Was it a moving experience? Yeah. Quite eerie. Quite eerie. Oh, interesting. Well, I want to talk about uh, the catacombs, but before I do that, I want to say something, because I need to be fair on all this, because there is something that takes place in the early church. There is a veneration of the bodies, taking care of the bodies. Um, and making sure bodies are buried with dignity. And I think that legacy we still experience today. But there is something else that takes place in the early church, which is still seen in some traditions today, but I would say it's a little sketchy. <laughs> and that is the idea that if, 
for example, Ryan, I'm going to pick on Ryan, Saint Ryan. Ryan was in the early church. He was a good guy. He was, he was so good that, you know, everybody went to see Ryan. And Ryan was, was a very godly man. And he, he performed miracles. He was a great preacher. And when he died, it's like, wow, this is Ryan's body. And so there was an idea. It's like, well, Ryan was so holy that... His body, we should not just venerate it, but we should probably recognize that this holiness, this power that he has, probably is still resides in the body. And so if we take little, maybe I'll take a little piece of his finger and put it around my, in, in a necklace, and, and it would give me a little bit of spiritual power. Okay, so there is this idea that emerges of relics, where the bodies are seen as so important that they almost have supernatural power. Now, with all respect to my Catholic friends, I, I, do, I, I see that more of a hangover of paganism, the idea that an object can contain magical power, than necessarily a Christian view. So I just, I have to say that because this, for those of you with Catholic background, some of you may be like, ah, some, some of the ideas are a little bit, a little bit off, but. We're not going to talk about relics specifically. That'll be in my church history class, which I'll teach one day. Um, but let's talk about the catacombs. Under Roman cities, often outside city walls, but often inside as well, there's a vast system of catacombs, underground burial places. The Romans built the catacombs because, again, they didn't like death. They feared it and they didn't want to think about it. The catacombs are out of sight, out of mind, right? And so often you would have the remains of those who are cremated and or buried placed there. And so the Romans wanted to push death out into the margins. But these catacombs actually have an interesting role in the history of Christianity. As opposition to Christianity increased, Christians found that they could find some privacy <laughs> out of sight in a place that nobody would look for them. Um, in the catacombs. Now, it wasn't, there's some debate about this. The, I, it's not so much they were holding church services, but they were remembering, they were remembering those who had died. They would remember those who were faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And so they would often um, honor the deceased. And if you go to the catacombs, you'll come across some interesting paintings. There are some paintings, and I have in your notes uh, um, two famous ones. Um, Jesus, um, the last one is the raising, of, is that the raising of Lazarus? The right one is uh, the, the Good Shepherd. They're both from uh, the 300s. And, and you come across early Christian hymns, even, in these catacombs. So you find um, on the wall, there's, there's one, it's a Christian hymn called, Old glad, Gladsome Light, O Gladsome Light, O Grace of God, the Father's Face, the Eternal Splendor Wearing, Celestial, Holy, Blessed, Our Savior Jesus Christ, Joyful in Thine Appearing. The early Christian hymn goes on to say, The day falls quiet and we see the evening light. And so the catacombs were places where Christians would bury their dead. Um, we can learn about their lives, actually, through some of the epitaphs. One says, here lies Quintilian, a man of God, a firm believer in the Trinity, who loved chastity and rejected the allurements of the world. 
Another one belongs to a guy named, uh, or to a person named uh, Domitilia. It says, who believed in Jesus Christ together with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's interesting how much emphasis there is on the Trinity. Again, you often hear people say, well, you know, nobody believed in the Trinity until like the third or fourth century. Nah, it's, the Trinity is, is part of Christian worship from very, very early on in the church. Another epitaph reads, here I rest, free from all anxiety. What I awaited has happened. When the coming of Christ occurs, I shall rise in peace. This one says, Aproniana, you believed in God, you will live in Christ. Now I have received divine grace, I shall be welcomed in peace. Ah, it's very cool. And so these are places where Christians would commemorate the dead. And the more martyrs were found there, the more Christians would congregate to honor the dead. And again, the Romans, they're not keen about dead bodies, so this would be a place where they could often worship without having to worry about things. And, what, and if you think, if you're a Roman, what would you have thought of these Christians? You would think, yes, I think the technical word is whacked out. Yeah, you would think that they are crazy. Yeah. Who, who? Yeah, idiotes, yes, yes. Who are these people that are not afraid of death? Who are these people who spend time with dead bodies? I mean, apparently, um, in the um, Greco-Roman world, the ones who were hired often to dig graves were Christians. And is, is the Christians actually had no problem with, with dead bodies. They had no problem actually with the sick. And I shared this in my class on Destroyer of the Gods, but one of the I mean, if, if you trace um, Christian growth in the first 300 years of, of, uh, the, of, of its existence, you'll see two, two spikes of population growth where, where Christianity grew. One was in um, 165 AD, which uh, a plague of Galen, I think that was the plague of Galen, 165 AD. Another one was in the 200s. Two big plagues that take place. When these plagues break out, Talk about dead bodies, lots of dead bodies littering the streets in Rome and the different places. And the pagans, if they could, they ran to the hills. They got out of the cities. The people who didn't run to the hills were the Christians. And they would touch a sick, infected body. And I shared this with you before, but um, with, when a person who had, you know, whatever the disease was, whether it be, um, sometimes it was measles, sometimes it was, um, um, you know, d different, different diseases. Uh, it wasn't, yeah, it was more uh, something that's more like, like some kind of smallpox or something, something that's a little more c contagious. Um, Christians would, if, if you offer water, a blanket, and touch, the chances of a person surviving from this disease increase by 30%. So water, touch, and a blanket. And Christians, instead of running to the hills, they, they stayed behind. And often they would have to, they would bury the dead, or they would care for the sick. And if these sick got better, Guess who they're going to align their life with? I want what you have, right?
The other thing is Christians would say to them, they say, okay, you are dying, but you need to know that in Jesus, death does not have the final word. And so even if you do die, it's not over. You're not, you're not disappearing into the shade. You're, you're, you, can, you, can, you can be raised to new life. Well, this is powerful, so powerful. And so the Christians had no problem touching the sick, at least at this stage. I mean, church history's got a checkered story. It's not, it's not perfect the whole way along. The, 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 the black death of the 14th century was not uh, necessarily Christianity's finest moment. Um, but here, there is a sense, there's this sense that we do not need to be afraid. Christians would celebrate death, a martyr's death, because they understood the riddle of death. And Christians, in fact, would, would honor the dead, partly because the, the, the dead body still had some tangible connection to the person who was living. Have you ever, maybe I shouldn't ask this, have you ever seen someone die? Yeah, I've been with someone when, when, at the moment that they died. And uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing experience. A lady from our church, an older lady, and I was holding her hand, and, and, and she died. And, and it, it was her, but she changed. Like, there's, there's a visible difference. It was quite interesting. But, but, but our bodies are still, they give connection to who we once were, Right? And, and, and this is why it's going to sound strange. Okay, now don't judge me. I actually love graveyards. I actually love going to graveyards. Uh, my kids do not, when they were little, they wouldn't, <laughs> got so tired of visiting graveyards. I'm like, look how old this one is. And they're like, ha, ha, ha. We're still in graveyards. You know, but they're so interesting. And what I love about graveyards is it connects me to the past. It connects me, it reminds me, hey, these people lived before me. They lived full lives. Not all of them, but many of them did. They died, and then one day this will be me. And it just, I go to a graveyard, and immediately I think of what is it, Psalm 90, it says, Lord, teach me to number my days. I don't know how many days I have. But that's why, I mean, you have to realize Christianity is deeply, deeply historical. Is deeply historic. We believe God is a God of history. And so when we, when we, so our bodies, even our dead bodies, they, 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 they connect us to this bigger story. History matters to the Christians. So when you bury someone and you make a marker, you're remembering a life that was lived in history. They lived before you, and there'll be people who live after you. Okay? But one thing I have to say is that Christians, though they honored the body, they honored the dead, for the most part, every now and then you with the whole relic thing, they got a little carried away. Um, but for the most part, they said, yes, we honor the body, but we're not going to get taken away with it. We're not going to get carried away with it. The Christians actually weren't obsessed with, the, with dead bodies. Uh, because Christians, they valued, but they also recognized that, hey, if you're dead, you're dead. Um, this isn't your body. You're going to have a resurrected body. 
And so they, they held these things in balance for the most part. They would take care of, of, of the bodies of the dead, but they didn't, uh, they didn't get overly fixated on the body. So one time I did a funeral here, um, and there was a coffin. And the person who died was a young guy. And his girlfriend was there. And his girlfriend was not a Christian. He was a Christian, but his girlfriend wasn't. And she wept and wept, and she threw herself onto the coffin and was crying and crying and crying. And then I had to walk that fine line between... Yes, his body is in here, but I came up to her and said, but he's not there. Yes, it's his body, but he is not there. So you're walking that, that, that line between honoring the body, but also saying, hey, you know, why? You know, think about your own eternal state. I didn't say that, but, um, but he's not there anymore. And so Christians, they knew that. And so there's, a, there's an interesting story of, um, of uh, St. Augustine, who lived in the um, 4th century, 5th century. And uh, Augustine's mom was a very well-known person. And Augustine's mom is, I think history puts her as the first helicopter parent. Pretty sure she's the first helicopter parent. Because she, um, she loved her son and wanted her son to become a Christian and did everything she could for her son to become a Christian. But when she was dying, Augustine tells a story. One day, being very sick, she swooned. She fell over and for a while was insensible. Me and my brother, we ran in. She came to herself again. And looking at me and my brother, who were standing by her, she said to us, Where have I been? And then seeing us struck with grief, she said, here you shall bury your mother. Now I held my peace and kept from weeping, but my brother said something about the effect that, um, that she should not die abroad, but in her own country we should bring her body back. And then she looked, she looked at me and she says, lay this body anywhere. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Uh, just remember me. That's what she says. And so I love that because it's a picture of, yes, our bodies matter, but she's like, just remember me. That's the important thing. And so I think as Christians, we, we can have this idea that we recognize the importance of bodies, but we don't get fixated with that. Because I've had people come up to me and said, oh, I had a friend of mine who's a Christian, but they died in a house fire. So will that affect the resurrected body? I'm like, no, I mean God can do whatever. <laughs> you know, let's say they didn't die in a, in a in a fire, but they died 400 years ago. Well, that body's also quite decomposed at this point too. So God is a God who will give us a resurrected body. So don't worry about those sorts of things. And that's why when you ask the question about cremation versus burial, I don't think it matters. But I do think you need to ask yourself questions as to why you're doing one or the other. So, for example, you're being cremated. Um, well, if it's for environmental reasons, then that might be a, bit, a good reason. If it's because 
hay is cheap, it's just don't worry about it. It's just, just, you know, don't just take my ashes and throw it wherever you want. It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, part of it is like, well, no, because there is this respect of the body that I think as Christians we need to hold on to. And yet, we don't have to go over the top and build this mausoleum and, you know, place, you know, St. Ryan inside the mausoleum and, you know, have this ornate thing. Yeah, but somewhere in between. Like, we recognize the importance of the body, but we're not blasé about the body either. Like, does that make sense? You might have questions, so we can talk about that. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, if you didn't Paul say if you think something's a sin, if you do it, it is a sin, but if you don't think it's a sin, it's not. Yeah, well I think there are so Ray asks if you if you if you think something is a sin and you do it anyway, then that's a problem. If you don't think it's a sin and you do it, then that's okay. Is that, yeah. I mean I think there's sins that are just objectively sinful. You know. Yeah, yeah. In in this case about cremation and that. I think like in like in everything else, we have to look at our hearts. Right? We have to look at our hearts. So if, if our approach to death, and this is an interesting uh actually let me let me come back to this. I'm gonna come back to this just in, in a moment. Um well, actually I'll come back to it right now. Like I think I wonder if in even among Christians today, if we are more and more influenced by almost a Greco-Roman way of approaching the body. And that's kind of a theme in this class. I don't know if you've noticed. Like we come to the end, it's like, I wonder if, if we're becoming more and more Greco-Roman than, than really living in the revolution that Jesus started. And the, way, the reason why I say that is I wonder if our approach to, to our bodies is, is sounding more and more Roman. In the sense that I know a lot of people are just afraid of death. They don't talk about it, even among Christians. They don't talk about it. They don't think about it. They don't want to. Let's. They. They don't want to prepare wills. They don't want to do anything because they don't want to talk about it. It's scary. But if you look at most of church history, Christians talked about death all the time. I was sharing tonight, I'm making my way through this book, um, The Saints Everlasting Rest, which is a Puritan book from the 17th century, Richard Baxter. And he says, every day we need to contemplate our death. That's part of being a Christian. We're not morbid about it, but we need to recognize the mortality rate in, in the world, I think it's still at 100%, isn't it? <laughs> right? We're all going to die. And so we need to, you know, so... We're taught, Lord, teach us to number our days so we can have a heart of wisdom. And I think that's part of it. And I think our fear of death and not wanting to talk about death or our cheapening of death is just like, it doesn't matter. And I, because I do a lot of funerals and I know a lot of people are dying, it's just like, ah, when I die, I don't want a service, I don't want anything, just throw out the body, doesn't matter. And I'm like, no, that's not how we treat the dead. 
Now, you may say that, but you're actually depriving your children from honoring you. You think you're being, oh, you know, don't worry about your expenses, you know, don't spend any money on me, just, you know, dump me out over in a river or whatever, it doesn't matter. Well, no, because some people want to actually honor you. And that's what I always say, it's like funerals, when I, when I, because often I meet with people who are dying and we plan their funeral together. And they'll say, I don't want this, ah, who cares? I'm like, look, don't deprive your kids from celebrating your life. You may think it's not worth it, but they think you're worthwhile. And so I often hear, and I, I get it, you know, instead of calling them funerals, what are, what are they called now? Celebrations of life. And I get that. There is, a, we need to remember a person's life and celebrate their life, but it's still sad. And there's nothing worse than putting on a funeral where everybody is forced to be happy, but they're really sad. Like it's, it's, but so we're, we're, we're approaching death and dying in a really weird way in our culture today, even among Christians. And I think we need to step back and kind of get this vision again for how Christians saw the body is important. And death, yes, we die with hope, absolutely. But we can still honor the dead and still remember and, and treat the bodies with dignity. Not as, oh, you know, just, ah, just throw away, it doesn't matter. No, I think our bodies matter. And that's why I do think, I do think going to a graveyard bringing your scissors and with flowers and with a little sponge and you clean the tombstone or you clean things and you cut the grass around it and you make it nice and you put in flowers is a way of honoring. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. Paul says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And because of the Christian revolution, our bodies do matter. And I think human beings deserve dignity even when our bodies are decomposing. In the early church, the work of a digger and a corpse handler was seen as a holy task. And that's why I, I, I get people, they just look at me and they shake their head. I said, you know, the other job I can see myself doing after I retire, if I want to, I could work in a funeral home. I really could. Because you know what? When you are dealing with families who are experiencing loss, you are on the edge of mystery, and people are open to hearing about the hope of resurrection more than they would during a wedding, <laughs> right? They're, they're open to this. And so in the early church, the position of a fosores, the diggers of the catacombs, was considered actually a church office. <laughs> and I think this is something that, um, you know, the, 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 this Christian revolution brought about, and it did change the world in terms of how we see the dead, how we see bodies, and how we see the future. And I think whenever I do a, a funeral, I always say, we can grieve, we can weep, but we can weep with hope, because we know that death does not have the final word. And there's something quite beautiful, something so beautiful about a Christian funeral. Yeah?
All right. Well, let me um, let me pray, and then we'll uh, we'll open it up to maybe a couple more questions. <laughs> I'm sure there's some questions. I haven't been following online, Mike, because yeah. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you defeated death, that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. In your resurrection, death has no sting. There is no more victory for the, for the grave. But our future is resurrected, is resurrection. And we thank you for the hope that lies before us. And so we cling to the hope that we have in you, Jesus, because we know you defeated death. When we put our faith in you, when we die, we shall not remain dead, but we will live again. And that way we can grieve, yes, but we can grieve with hope. And we can honor bodies, we can bury bodies with dignity and honor, knowing that uh, our future is resurrection, embodied hope. So Lord, grant us wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. That's our desire in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.